0: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios.
1: This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to
2: Revived Thoughts. Those waters have been the scene of countless baptisms, and the people around had many stories to tell of the appearance and life of the grand young prophet who had met his tragic end in the dungeons of Herod's Castle. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they deliver. Today,
3: we're hearing a sermon by F.B. Myers. It was preached sometime in the late 1800s, maybe the early 1900s, and it's titled Life Without Miracles.
1: Joel, before we get into the life of F.B. Meyer, I need to announce an official correction. This is completely and 100% on me. Do not blame Joel. They don't do, not blame don't do this else. very often, yeah. This uh, I, I can remember the last time we did this. It was a very, very <laughs> long time ago, uh, about three years ago. Yeah, I mispronounced uh, Gerhard Terstigen's name and an eagle eyed listener caught my mistake. I was pronouncing him as Gerhard Tergestin and yeah, I did all my I research on the right guy Ter Stegen, But for some reason, my brain kept writing it down as uh, Tergestin. And so we did a whole episode where I say over and over again, Turgetine, it's Tersteigan. I'm sorry to the proud Turstegans out there, I did not mean to uh, uh, to approach your name. Well, that's the thing honor.
3: like like if you've no idea who this person is, then it's just it's just a, a funny sounding name that you know like yeah of course you're gonna pronounce it six different times every time you read it. but if you're a fan of of Terstegan
1: <laughs> Tersteigan.
3: Yeah, Tersteggen. Then then yeah, you're going to you're you're, you know, you you like the guy. You you want to make sure he's represented properly and we totally yeah. get that. You Sorry, were, you we... were
1: so excited. This was your time to shine. Finally terstegan's getting yeah. on the map and you were like, "Here he is, everybody. Terstegan I've been telling you about him for years. What? Tergesteen? How could you?" <laughs> um, I don't know if that actually occurred.
3: <laughs> we try we try really hard. We but again, man, poof, when it comes to phonetically grammatically pronouncing names yep. Troy and I ne- neither one of us are no are really uh we're not ex- we're not linguists this was not, that was linguist, not a good yeah. not a good
1: for us okay so with that in mind we apologize this I would say this not never happens this happened one other time uh, it normally doesn't so we do hope you enjoy the episode and if you go back and listen know that we are sorry all right This episode we're about to go over with F.B. Meyer actually fits really well with a recent revived conversation that we did on the idea of spiritual chaplains because F.B. Meyer, and we've done an episode on him before, but he has this really interesting encounter with two very influential people in church history that I kind of wanted to zoom in on in this episode with him. Um, The first one is Gandhi, and the second one is Winston Churchill, and we'll kind of talk about how he interacted with these people and how his life affected them here in just a minute.
3: Yes. Before we jump into the show proper, though, I do want to give a call to action. If you are a listener to Revive Thoughts and you think, hey, I could narrate a sermon. I have a microphone hereabouts or, you know, I'm connected to a church that wouldn't be able to record it for me. If I if I ask the sound guy nicely, uh, write into us. We would love to have uh, you narrate a sermon on our show. Um, We love our relationship with volunteers that write in and want to narrate for us, and we love to expand that. So if you're thinking, hey, I could do that, write in, uh, and we'd love to get connected with you. And um, there's a little bit of the kind of a application process where we'll have you record a little sound sample and then send you a sermon that you can read through and then narrate uh, for an episode of Revived Thoughts. Also... Tell a friend about Revive Thoughts. If you, uh, we, we we usually tell people to do this at the end of the show, but we know m- most people are not hanging around for the last ten seconds of every Revive Thoughts episode. But so I am putting it at the front of the show. If you like Revive Thoughts, tell a friend about the show. Uh, and this this is a pretty good episode to introduce them to. FB Myers, this is a fascinating one. Uh, as Troy mentioned, we did do an episode on FB Myers. It's just one we haven't have we done multiple FB Myers. Only one F.B. Meyer episode. Intercession of Prayer. A great
1: episode that I highly encourage you go listen to. It really gives an overview of Meyer's life. It was a really interesting man, and it's a great sermon.
3: I feel like we could do F.B. Meyer's episodes in continuum forever because he has so much jam-packed into his life. We could do a different episode every month, just examining a different aspect of his life, and it would never get boring because... He did a lot in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a refresher, born in 1847, and he graduated in 1869 where he went on to preach. You know, he, he wanted to be a preacher. He, he set out to be a preacher. F.B. Myers, good friends with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody blew up. And D.L. Moody, you know, he would go on to be good friends with Charles Spurgeon, and they would all become world famous. And so there's this uh, there's, there's a bond bondship, friendship between these gentlemen uh, lots of tours that DL Moody went on, uh, FB Myers would go on as well, and vice versa. Uh, not as big as the name, not as memorable as as what DL Moody has done, but still a very important gentleman and, and still a figure in church history. There, Myers. I, I mean, he wrote several books over his lifetime. He preached on tours around the world. It's it's really hard to comprehend his life, but we're gonna we're gonna focus on we're gonna hone down on a, a few different relationships that he had in this episode.
1: Yeah, I actually really like the way you kind of said that with him, because it's important to note that when Meyer is kind of open up churches helping uh, Moody do his early revivals, he has no idea that D.L. Moody will become one of the most famous evangelists in the entire world. He just he's a guy who thinks is gifted, and the two of them are working together in those early days. Uh, he's it, Meyer was ahead of him in a lot of ways in ministry at the beginning. And then D.L. Moody kind of, you know, gets way ahead of him in name and fame. But, uh, Anyway, I, I like how you put that, that. They're kind of just those early, those early ministry days when they don't know what's going to come next. Meyer was not someone who stayed out of social issues throughout his whole career. He preached against drunkenness, and he he saw it as a real shame that so many Christian nations were so swept up in drinking and alcohol. He also thought it was a real shame that there was so much prostitution in a supposedly Christian empire. He'd encourage and charge his audiences and say, "Hey, you guys are failing to live up to God's high calling by allowing these businesses to thrive." in your community and he would rail against them and over time hundreds of saloons and prostitution houses were basically closed uh, because of the sermons because of the way he stirred up the hearts of the people and because of some of the actions he would take like he would open up you know houses for women who were in prostitution to get away from prostitution you know right across the street from the prostitution houses and stuff like that trying to help you know give people an alternative to what they were doing He was not alone in this. This is during a very huge temperance movement at that time where they're encouraging people to clean up how they're living. And many famous preachers of the 1800s and 1900s are a part of this movement. We've even featured a sermon by one of those temperance preachers, Samuel P. Jones. Meyer had other controversial moments as well. At one point, he stood up for some soldiers during World War I that were set to be executed Because they weren't loyal, and he kind of stood up and said, look, we can't execute them. It's not that they're not loyalists, that they're pacifists, and you can't force pacifists to pick up a gun and shoot for you. And so he got involved in a big situation there. But in 1911, he comes up in a controversy that's honestly a little bit complicated, and it runs him into a very young Winston Churchill,
3: and kind of they cross paths a little bit here. So in 1911, there was this boxer named Jack Johnson, and uh, this boxer was announced – he was going to fight another boxer named Billy Wells. He was nicknamed Bombardier Billy. Very well-known boxers, very big event. Everyone was, I don't want to say looking forward to it, but very, it was on everybody's radar, right? The event of the century. Now, Jack Johnson was a black man, and Bombardier Billy was a white man. And F.B. Myers did not want this boxing match to take place. And his reasoning here was due to the racial-charged atmosphere that was about uh, in the area, in the society. And F. B. Myers, not a racist, right? He never spoke anything prejudiced, and he actually uh, fought for many of the initiatives to help black people in Britain and South Africa. But he thought that either way this fight goes, right? Whether Jack Johnson wins or Jack Johnson loses, There's going to be rioting. There's going to be people fighting. There's going to be people not happy with the outcome. People are going to get hurt. People are going to die. He's convinced of this, right? And so F.B. Myers' approach to this is, hey, it's kind of silly that we're going to create an atmosphere in which people are going to fight all for a silly boxing match. This is, you know, as far as like your entertainment value to – uh risk of bodily harm ratio this is way too high and is not is is not something that uh is worth the risk i guess you could say. it's kind of weird for us to think about you know in today's society in our i don't know i feel like i feel like this conversation would go differently i should say in 21st century america i
1: definitely think it would people would right? very much i think today say hey it is his right to box right. how could you even consider the consequences you know are not as important as the right to do it uh but fb meyer is not seeing it that way he is he's kind of taking this very different approach he's saying look i know this sounds weird to us in the 21st century but try to put your mind in his shoes he give him a second here this is not a race like it is a race thing but it's not for him a racist thing the way he sees it is he goes look and he literally has this quote he says God knows there's enough horror in the southern states of America. There's enough trouble between ourselves. There's enough trouble between the, southern, the settlers in South Africa and the black population there. There's difficulty already in India. Why would we make things more antagonistic by having a black man and a white man box in front of everyone? Meyer and many of these ministers hated the boxing matches anyway. They were like, these are violent, they're obscene, they're they're grotesque. And remember, boxing back then was very different than it is today. It was actually a lot more violent, and it was where you gambled, and there was a lot of money involved. That was kind of a different thing than we see today. Well, it may some ways similar, but some ways a little bit more risque and kind of uh, backroom deals-y, so to speak. So, a match that purposely put in his mind a black and a white person together with this idea of who's going to win, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the empire. He was like this is only going to lead to racial inter, you know, animosity and this is only going to lead to problems.
3: Yeah, and there, there was also you- there was also like a a political element to it to, as well because it was supposed to be filmed. I mean, again, this is yeah. 1911 like film cameras brand new to to make a video of essentially this fight. And so he's looking at the political propaganda like mm-hmm. aspect to this as well. And he's he's thinking it's a recipe for disaster.
1: His mind is, if the black person wins in the fight against the white person, everywhere you all these racists will play that footage and go, this is terrible. And if it's the other way around, all the racists will take this footage and go, look at this. Where the it's a bad situation. because there's nothing there's nothing good. There's so many things. And he says, look, if people get into a boxing match and there's a riot in South Africa and thirty people get you know killed by these angry racists who don't like a boxing match, would it be worth it? And this whole conversation, I didn't make sense to me. I was looking at the research. I was like, this doesn't make sense. What? Why is this something he's so worried about? And then I looked up basically race riots due to boxing match. And the year before in the United States of America, there was a gigantic race riot that happened due to a boxing match when the very same gentleman, Jack Johnson, won in a boxing match. He won and beat... The champion, Tom Jeffries. And when that happened, a gigantic riot broke out in Reno. And this riot spread to several different states. By the time within two days of him winning the boxing match, 10 people had been killed. Most of them, almost all of them, uh the very, you know, they were black people that were getting killed because of this, because these angry white people were angry and were rioting across. And the number of cities, I'm just gonna read you the list cities in america that a riot occurred in atlanta cincinnati houston new york st louis keystone west virginia uh, uh west virginia mounds illinois baltimore chicago clarksburg west virginia columbus ohio dayton ohio fort worth johnson county missouri kansas city missouri little rock los angeles louisville New Orleans, Norfolk, Virginia, Omaha, Philadelphia, Roanoke, Virginia, Springfield, Illinois, St. Joseph, Missouri, and Wheeling, West Virginia, not not to mention Reno, and other places as well. And so with that in mind, the next year, this guy's coming to your empire and saying, let me, you know, let me have another boxing match. Let me do it again. And you go, okay, when I look up the johnson Jeffries riots, and I see how much of a disturbance guy caused, and you look at how big the British empire is, and you look at how many different people are combined... And you can start to maybe start to see, okay, this is what F.B. Meyer was worried about. It's not worth it to him that people might die for a boxing match. And he goes, no way, we've got to stop this before the same thing that happened in America erupts over here and we lose some lives. And so he takes a bunch of petitions and signatures and brings them to Winston Churchill, who happens to be the secretary over that region at the time. And the secretary, Winston Churchill, gets in this long meeting. Him, all these ministers are, you know, talking to him, being like, don't do this. And they end up agreeing. They go, you know what? We think you're right. It's not worth it if people die. It's not worth it. This becomes a violent thing. Winston Churchill had was just about to get a promotion. He didn't want a big fight on his hands, so he just gives it to them and goes, okay. And so the boxing match does not end up happening. Some people think it should have. Some people think it should not have, but that is why F.B. Meyer got involved with this whole thing and ended up crossing paths with Churchill.
3: Okay, so that was the first person that we mentioned having contact with F.B. Myers. The next person here... uh and it would be interesting to do an episode where we just talked about like different uh, people that interacted with Gandhi, like different b- biblical leaders, because he did chat a lot with biblical scholars, mm-hmm. uh, F. B. Myers being one of them. So there was a point where Gandhi came to London, and if we understand it correctly, and we have Gandhi's account of this, because F. B. Myers uh, it doesn't seem to have recorded it, and it's not until two years after, Ga- uh, sorry, two years after F. B. Myers dies that Gandhi recounts his interactions with Myers here. But from the way Gandhi talks about it, uh, and again, Gandhi, he's all about peace, not about religious conversion, okay? And Myers, he's an evangelical through and through. But they have similar goals, similar principles as far as serving uh, concepts like that. So there's there's areas where they can uh, agree on how people should behave and how people should go out And so it makes for these interesting conversations. And Myers, according to Gandhi, you know, he cautiously endorsed this idea of passive resistance that Gandhi was promoting. But at at the same time, Myers, he also challenged Gandhi on his life. He's asking him if he really felt peace in his life. And uh, Gandhi tells us his response here. He told Myers, religion is a personal matter. And I'm not going to ask another man to become a Hindu or a Parsi. I would be doing something contrary to my belief. I am sharing with you my own experience and trying to show you as fellow workers that probably, if you could see eye to eye with me, your work would flourish more and more. You have amazing self-sacrifice. You are great organizers. You are good men. I want to multiply the occasions for your service. I want to work closer with you, but I do not want to get India to change their faith. So basically, just saying... I want to see you succeed, you know, Effie Myers and the men he was with. Uh, I want to help you succeed in your vision, uh, but I don't want to convert India, <laughs> India's faith. is sounds essentially what Gandhi was saying there. Uh, again, Effie Myers, uh, evangelist through and through, and I think this answer probably saddened him. It, it'd be hard to imagine it not making him a bit sad. And so it's interesting just to see, you know, Gandhi. Uh, someone who was unconverted by Myers attested, you know, g- giving testimony to be like he tried. He tried real hard. He didn't get me in the end, but he tried. And you know, there's a the, the little bit of respect there for Myers in that uh, is fascinating. These are just a-, a few of the people that that uh, Myers was able to interact with. And again, his life is packed full of fascinating interactions, fascinating stories. Uh, today, we're going to listen to this sermon "Life Without Miracles" preached by F.B. Myers.
2: John did no miracle, but all things that John spoke of this man were true. John chapter 10 verse 41 Beyond the Jordan! To the Jew living in Jerusalem, that meant exile and banishment. The district there was called Perea, and it was comparatively a desert. There were a few mountain torrents which made their impetuous way down to the Jordan, patches of fruitful soil, and a few scattered villages. But for the most part, the population was poor and sparse, and destitute of the culture which reigned in Jerusalem. Why then did our Lord come here to spend the last hours of his life? Would not Nazareth welcome him to his early home? Or Capernaum provide him a resting place in a marble palace washed by the caressing waters of the lake he loved so well? Would he not be better lodged at Jerusalem in the palace of Caiaphas, the praetorium of Herod, or even the temple itself? Alas, all these were shut against him by the relentless hate of his enemies. Perea alone could offer him a resting place. There was a peculiar fascination attached to Perea. It was the place where John had first baptized. Those desolate hills had been black with crowds, gathered from all the land to hear the crying of that trumpet voice in those days. Those waters had been the scene of countless baptisms, and the people around had many stories to tell of the appearance and life of the grand young prophet who had met his tragic end in the dungeons of Herod's castle. And as the disciples wandered over the ground in company with Christ, Memory recalled the spot where some of them had been baptized, or others had seen him designate Jesus as the Lamb of God. Christ's own mind must have been moved by thoughts as he contrasted the radiant dawn of his ministry in this spot with the overcast skies that had since darkened above him. No sooner did our Lord find himself in comparative safety than he threw himself into his much-loved work of preaching the gospel, working miracles, and healing all who were diseased. Crowds gathered around him, many from the immediate neighborhood, some from an even greater distance. But as they stood on that memorable spot, old memories were stirred. The place with its surroundings, even to the stones that lay in the riverbed, forcefully reminded them of the great life set as a jewel in these rugged scenes. They confessed to the mighty gulf which severed him from Christ. John did no miracle but they gladly emphasized the fact that all things which he had spoken of Christ were true. To the eye of the casual observer, the Baptist seemed to have failed. The morning star had paled before the sunrise. The crowds who had gathered around the bridegroom's friend waned slowly and steadily away to follow the bridegroom himself. His disciples half reproachfully said, Master, he to whom you bore witness beyond the Jordan... The same has commenced to baptize, and all men come to him. The faithful few that gathered around him must have deeply felt that they were the adherents of a dwindling cause, which was destined gradually to come to an end. And this was only a prelude to the imprisonment of this brave soul within the dark walls of Herod's dungeons. Like an eagle with a broken wing, the Baptist lay spent and powerless. And there the captivity The lack of the ministry of nature, the inability to understand why Christ did not deliver him, if he were indeed the Messiah, led to a still greater fall, and he sent to ask whether Jesus of Nazareth were after all what he had announced him to be. Are you he that should come, or should we look for another? Finally, down the long corridor the executioner came to his cell. The sword gleamed, the severed head fell from the body, and from that subterranean prison, his spirit returned to God. How sad and disastrous seemed such a termination to a life which had once been the center of the national thought and movement. Wasn't it all a failure? Didn't John make a profound mistake in following his lofty ideals? Had God himself deserted his faithful servant? Was it, after all, a real voice that spoke from the opened heaven? Then God took up the cause of his faithful martyr and vindicated him through the tribute which the crowds paid his memory as they gathered in Perea. John was true, the people said. What he said has been verified by the event. He had said that Christ was from heaven and above all, and it was true. He had said that Christ was the true bridegroom of faithful souls, and it was true. He had said that the Father did not give him the Holy Spirit by measure, and it was true. He had said that he was the Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world, and it was true. John had said many other things about Christ, which they had treasured and now recalled. But among them all, there was no statement made about Christ which was not true. This strengthened their faith in the Lord Jesus, but it also vindicated the Baptist as the true prophet of the Most High. So it has often been since, and may be for you and me. Around that mother's grave you may gather and say, She was not brilliant or greatly remarkable, but she spoke true words of Jesus Christ which will never die. Of some Sunday school teacher or minister who seems to have been a voice crying in the wilderness and to have passed away before accomplishing any lasting monument, he did no miracle, but he spoke true words for Christ. Do not look for success or dread failure. Go on day by day fulfilling the task of the day and leaving the results with God. You do not know what you are doing. You are scattering seeds which will yield harvests when you lie beneath the sod of the valley. God will vindicate you, and someday, as men recall your memory, if they say that you worked no miracle, they will also say that whatever you spoke of this man was true. These are days in which the Bible is greatly discredited. There are those who appear to delight in hunting out discrepancies in the venerable record of God's dealings with men. The higher critics, in many cases, appear to me to be devoid of that reverence for the spirit of God and the religious life of men, which should make one inclined to trust them. In many ways, they contradict each other, and few of their decisions are likely to remain unchallenged when a few more years have passed over. In the meanwhile, it is doubtless a matter of concern to many Christians to know how to hold to their confidence in that sacred volume which they had been accustomed to consider the authoritative word of the Most High. To read the books which are constantly pouring from the press would take more time than most of us can afford, and to understand and combat their objections would take greater scholarship than is within our reach. Even if we were to investigate the matter to the bottom, it is not probable that our evidence would be taken, in the court of general opinion, as better than the scholars and literalists. What then can we do? May we not adopt the method suggested by our text and vindicate the truth of the Bible by comparing its statements with what we have discovered through personal association with the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that the peace of God comes to those who trust in him who died on the cross under Pontius Pilate and was raised again according to the scriptures. We have come and trusted and found peace. All that the Bible said in this respect is true. The Bible says that if we open our hearts to the Spirit of God, he will infill them with a holy hatred of sin and with the hunger and thirst of a new life. We have acted upon the suggestion and have been delivered from sins which had cursed and defiled our whole life. All that the Bible said in this respect is true. The Bible says that if we make our requests known to God through Jesus Christ, he will abundantly answer them. And hundreds of answered prayers, as we review them, testify that what the Bible said in this respect also is true. The Bible says that Christ's gospel is the antidote of death, that for those who believe in him, death is abolished and the fear of it at an end. Now, we had been all our lifetime subject to bondage, but have forgotten to fear since Christ has shed upon our hearts the rays of immortality and life. In this also, what the Bible said was true. In these and in many other specific details, we have verified for ourselves the word of God and are able to affirm from the platform of personal experience that all it says of Jesus Christ is true, and therefore it shall still be our guide through the unknown. You may be very discontented with yourself. You are no genius, have no brilliant gifts, and are not fit for any special performance. Mediocrity is the law of your existence. Your days are remarkable for nothing but sameness and commonness, always spent within the same small room, tethered by the same short string, and surrounded by the same ignorant and unkind people. Yet you may live a great life and one on which angels on their way home to God may loiter to look with admiration. John did no miracle, but Jesus said among those that were born of women, there had not appeared greater than he. Set yourself to say true things about Jesus Christ. Perhaps you cannot preach the set speech or studied discourse, but you may always set forth what you have known and seen of him, who still manifests himself to loving and believing hearts. John's main business was to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe, and this business may be yours and mine also. Do it privately. John did not only speak of Jesus to the crowds, but when standing with two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God! Let us use the opportunities of daily life to speak of our dearest Lord. Do it experientially. I saw and bear record, said John. We cannot have the opened heaven and the audible voice as he, but these are not the best evidences, for though John had enjoyed them, he doubted. We have a more sure basis because we may daily see and handle the good word of life. Do it unostentatiously. John was content to be only a voice if men would think of Christ. Be willing to be only a voice heard but not seen a mirror whose surface is lost to view because it reflects the dazzling glory of the sun, a breeze that springs up just before daylight and says, the dawn, the dawn, and then dies away. But this can never be till we are altogether taken up with Christ. And when that happens, there will be no effort to speak of him, nothing unnatural, forced or strained, no breach of the laws of Christian courtesy. You should have told him to mind his own business said a gentleman to his wife, when she told him that a man of God had spoken to her about her soul. "'If you had heard him speak,' was the reply, "'you would have thought that that was his business. "'Do not long after wealth. "'The men who have done most for the world have been those who could truly say, "'Silver and gold, I have none. "'Do not long after the position. "'Some of the worst men that ever lived were nobly born, "'while the uncrowned kings of humanity have sprung from the ranks of poverty. Do not long for genius. It is very doubtful whether mere genius has done much for the world. It is inclined to be spasmodic, fluctuating, unreliable. Be content if you can do no miracle. Live to give the world a true conception of the unseen Lord. Put away self-indulgence, whether of the senses or thought, for this will undermine the better qualities of the heart. Carefully check impatience, uncharity, and insincerity of speech or manner. Embody in heart and life the meekness and gentleness, the purity and truth of the Lord Jesus. Do the commonest and smallest things as if watched by his eye. Are you beset with chafing irritations and annoyances? Bear them as the martyrs endured the scorn in the torture chamber. If you must live with unkind people, set to conquer them by love. If you have made a great mistake in your life, do not let it be cloud all of it, but, locking the secret in your heart, compel it to yield strength and sweetness. You may do all these things by the peace of God, and without brilliant talent. And acting this way you will do more real good than rank with its aristocratic bearing, wealth with its golden shower, and genius with its meteoric flash. We are doing more good than we know, sowing seeds, starting streamlets, giving men true thoughts of Christ, to which men will refer one day as the first things that started them thinking of him. And on my part, I will be satisfied if no great mausoleum is raised over my grave, but that simple souls gather there when I am gone and say, He was a good man. He worked no miracles, but he spoke words about Christ which led me to know him for myself. John did no miracle, but all things that John spoke of this man were true.
3: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by David K. Martin, making his debut as a narrator on Revived Thoughts. We loved having him. He is an audiobook narrator who lives in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with his wife and children. Audiobook samples and contact information are available on his website, davidkmartin.net. Feel free to check him out. If you liked his voice and you say, hey, I want David K. Martin to narrate my stuff, davidkmartin.net, go check it out.
1: Absolutely. And... As you're checking it out, if you, you listen, then you go, hey, David K. Martin is new. Uh, hey, you could be new, too. Check us out. We, we put it at the beginning. We'll say it here, too. If you would like to speak for Revived Thoughts, go to our website and go contact us and let us know, hey, I'd like to be a speaker on your show and read one of these sermons and bring them back from history, and we can start getting you kind of uh, in, that, in that lineup and show you how to go through that process. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revived Thoughts.